welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast, where we discuss the nature and appreciation of transformations, especially in leadership. I am your host, Edwin Adams. Here we go. My man. Well, I hope that you are as excited about today as I have been all week waiting for this 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 doggone appointment to show up in the calendar on the same day. Oh my gosh, dude, what a privilege. More excited, my friend, more excited. Oh my gosh, there's no possible way. Man, thanks thanks for a little bit of your time. You know, this is a conversation I have wanted to have for for a really long time because my insatiable curiosity is off the chart when it comes to pain shown. So there's there's this this story that I don't know completely and and this is the opportunity for me to just be selfish selfishly um curious i hope you're ready so much so did you know you you, it's so funny this has been a long time in the coming because i've been watching your podcast and kind of what you've been doing for a while thinking man what's it take to get on this podcast what's it take to get on this podcast and i I'll be honest. I didn't reach. I didn't ask early on. I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. So uh, it's so funny how life works out the way it does. And um, excited to be here. Well, it's funny. The same conversation going on in my head. He wouldn't be interested. He wouldn't be interested. Um, so ridiculous. Until you ridiculous. said, what does it take to get on the show? I was like, oh, what? what uh, this is this is nirvana this is the best christmas present ever so thank you thank you pain so so i want to make the most of our time because i i i feel like i know pain very superficially but i don't know pain's story and and my curiosity is around when did you know that coaching and leadership was your path forward? Are we going? Are we rolling? Uh, this is absolutely okay. Um, wow, that is a great place to start. And the initial response would be looking looking back, like from the beginning, it's clear that I loved. Um, being around people, being a part of teams, understanding what made people tick. How do you build a team, whether it be in sports from an early age through college to leaving college and going into the field of public accounting and trying to understand like, what is a team look like now that I'm outside of uh, uh, at true sports. And then as I navigated through my career, always gravitating towards building people, building teams. And mm. as you and I have talked a lot, the the struggle, it was around this limiting belief of who am I? And we can get into that if you'd like, but just the doubts and fears of being good enough. Uh, and so never thinking, hey, I can do this coaching thing. Is it a real thing? And then I moved into, it was probably now 
seven years ago, I moved into a leadership position within a law firm and they wanted to build out their operational functions. They had grown to a, a significant size and mass and the lawyers were still doing a lot of the administrative functions and they wanted to professionalize that and kind of offload that, let the lawyers focus on uh, building, uh, you know, doing legal work like they were trained and, and bring somebody else in. And I, I come into that, and I hired a coach then to help me navigate. What does that look like? And that was game changing for me because I was in a position where I was tasked to build out and lead initiatives and actually bring the initiatives forward. And I'd never been exposed to, to, to the legal industry. And so I hired a legal specific coach in that space and they helped me walk through it. And that's when I got, uh, uh, became aware of coaching then fast forward, joining the Maxwell team, Maxwell leadership team and realized it could be a profession. And it kind of gradually progressed from there. And a couple of years ago, stepping out and even still when I stepped out to the self-doubt and, and limiting beliefs, can I do this, um, came with me and you know, being two years into it now and having some proof of concept has been incredible to, to really open up the doors of work with people from a couple of different countries to, to, to senior level leaders within Fortune 100 companies, all the way down to the solo entrepreneur and being able to to walk alongside them and see them achieve things that they never really even thought was imaginable, unimaginable until they started dreaming a little bit. Well, see, that was the perf perfect segue for for me. My my lack of understanding around the uh, around pain shown is was this an original vision that you had for yourself. Or did you have to go through that experience at the law firm and have a coach show you, or or was this already predetermined by you at some point earlier? No, I think it was the, the raw materials were in there, but I had mm. to go through the journey. And even going back farther to that with, with getting in the wrong seat um, and and spending about five years, which I say is the longest decade of my life, in public accounting uh, to realize that people are different. And when you get someone in the wrong seat, it's a recipe for disaster or or not, and maybe not even disaster, just not fully uh, uh, becoming fully aware or full full achievement of one's potential. Whereas if you get them in the right seat, which might take some time, some understanding, some reflection, some development to realize, wow, here's how you can do it. And here's where you fit in. That's when I realized, wow, yep, I was uniquely created to do this. And that was probably a journey. It was definitely a journey of me having to go through those, those boxes and every step of the way, getting a little bit closer to what it was. When I was with the law firm, I was able to spend a, a decent amount of my time in the, the, human, the, the team development, human development space, but not all of it. And that's where I realized this is where I was gifted, where I was uniquely created to spend, you know, spend my career career doing and then it was just a matter of figuring out what that looked like yeah so so was your self-awareness there and um here's my problem pain at the beginning of most people's journey 
there is this, I think, in, in popular literature or popular leadership literature that you have to spend some time visioneering what you want your future to look like. Um, as Jeff Henderson would say, what do you want to be known for, right? So were you self-aware enough to know the answer to that question at this pivotal transition time? You mentioned all the pieces were there, but were you aware that your next choice, your next decision was moving you closer to a vision that you, you kind of knew for yourself? It might not have been spelled out on paper, but was the vision there? That's... Uh, I find a lot of people are stumped on step number one, which is answering yeah, that question. That's a great question. Great question. Not at all. Okay. I, looking back, I wish I had someone um, to help me create that vision or ask me the questions to to start thinking about those that vision because I was not a, I was not in a place uh, where I understood what even visualization looked like. Uh, it's funny. So it brings up a little bit of a rabbit trail, but all of my leadership development experience up until maybe a decade ago uh, was just experiential. I no academic side of it. It was all you're in, you're a part of this team, always wanted to be the captain of the team selfishly because I thought that was the cool position that like people would listen. And it was a matter of, of I was being developed and groomed through all of that. I remember uh, this sophomore year of my in college, uh, I kept, my coach kept talking about visualization, visualization. And I remember vividly, like the first time I'd ever done it, it was before the one of our first games. And I just was, was visualizing a couple of different um, uh, things within it plays within that game. And one of them was an interception. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to get an interception in this game. And it, it sounds silly, but I was, I, 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 I was so hungry to, to succeed. I was listening to everything he said. And so I was doing it leading up to our first game. And in that first week of practice, it happened a couple of times in scrimmaging. And then it happened uh, Thursday where we actually scrimmaged the, the, the number one offense versus the number one defense. And I, I picked, off our quarterback which just didn't happen uh, during you know during during that 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 exchange and then sure enough come to the game first quarter second series get a, a deflection a, a ball deflected and I end up returning the 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 interception 76 yards for a touchdown and I I remember thinking back like holy cow this visualization thing worked and then I get into my career and never did it again until uh, until I finally start leaning into this this development process and realizing you control your destiny for so long, especially early on in my uh, in my developmental stage. So many people told me what to do. I was listening to everybody. And so I was just doing what everybody told me. But when you get to your career, you have to own it. And so learning to how to what that looked like and how uh, going learning everything the hard way and making the wrong decisions before I can finally say, oh, that bumper needs to be moved in a little bit. This bumper needs to be moved in that little bit. And so it wasn't until probably left a public accounting, started running a startup in my late 20s. And that was really my first leadership 
leadership position in the corporate world, loved doing that. And, and that I realized, mm, I really like this people part. And then I moved into the law firm, did a little bit more in a different perspective, got started getting professionally trained and surrounding myself with people that do this. And that's when the, the idea really started to, to come alive and the visualization and visioneering of my future happened. So do you think if somebody had told you that in your early 20s, pain, visioneering is going to change the trajectory of your life, we need to spend some time doing it, what would have been your response? I think it would have depended who that was. I think it could have accelerated it. I don't think it would have altered the trajectory like that, but I think hmm. it would have helped speed up the process and realize, okay, look, that's fair. stop wasting. Yeah. Stop wasting your time in, in that you need to really focus here. And I think that would have helped, but it had, would have had to take the right person because you, know, you got to think I was a uh, hard headed, um, I'll, I'll admit egotistical at time for sure. Young guy who's just ready to light the world on fire and the right mentor could have, but it uh, would have been, it would have taken, it uh, would have taken the right person. Yeah. But you were a coachable athlete, right? W would you, would you mm -hmm. say that? So it, Oh, absolutely. So to your point, if, if that right person um, inspired you enough and connected with you enough, you would have listened to maybe initiate a process of raising awareness through through some type of vision process. So you, totally. you, you, in retrospect, you, you have the appreciation for visioneering now. If someone is stuck or stagnant, I mean, you're a professional coach now, somebody stuck or stagnant personally, professionally in any area of their life, do you feel visioneering is, is one of the first things you take a client through in order to understand, you know, where are we going to point this compass? I mean, help me understand how you value it now in helping people see what their potential is. Yeah, great question. I think it's a process, right? And so it depends on where the client is in along that journey. And so if they've been doing it for a while, whether it's visioneering or goal setting, you can describe what it, whatever it is, there's a different uh, level. So I always take my clients through this process of dreaming about what the future looks like, but if they've never done it before, we don't look out 10 years and try to create that vision. We look maybe a year or two, right? Yeah. 10 years is a little intimidating, until, right? It is. But if you've been doing it for a long time, if you've been setting these goals regularly, you have a better vision and more clarity with what 10 years you would like to accomplish. Whereas if you've never done it before, when I was first starting, I couldn't even think of 10 years because it was too big of a mountain, right? I didn't have that, that muscle memory. So I started with a year or two, even when I started my business, it was, it was a year by year process. And, mm -hmm. but, but always thinking through, okay, 
how does this, what, what does this look longer term? Do I like this? I was constantly reflecting on the specific opportunities that I got to say, do I want more of this or do I want less of this? Mm -hmm. And over time, that's allowed me to say, okay, now we can really look 10 years down the road and not have to, the other struggle that I had was when you create that vision for 10 years, that's not set in stone. That's, that's an idea. Um, and it evolves and that's okay. Just because it evolves doesn't mean like you failed. And, and just because you've shared it with people and it changes, that's okay. You're not failing. It's just a matter of it's evolved. And, and what I've found is it gets clearer. What I meant by this probably looks more like this or yeah, that was really on point here, but I need to adjust there. Payne, hmm. I, I worry about um, some of my clients who, who are in that stuck or stagnant position. The, the one thing they're looking to stand on is certainty. So through a visioneering process, there's a lot of gravitas there. Um, um, as an aside, I remember being your, uh, your, when you were talking about being in your early 20s, when I was in my early 20s, one of the top interview questions was, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? And that was such a, a crazy question that, that I did not spend enough time thinking into because it was so hard for me to think that far out because I think I wanted to stand on certainty too. And I didn't know what that was that far out. So for a client who's really struggling, who's trying to climb out of the hole, certainty means a lot to them. And, and I appreciate what you say about reducing the scope a little bit to that, that one year, even six months, or you know what, what are we going to do today? What, what, what's your yep. vision for the end of today? I mean, I've gotten that, that granular with, with some clients. When, when there's a reluctance or a fear of certainty, how do you address that with someone? Um, because visioneering, you can get kind of stuck in the visioneering process because you want certainty and it may not be there in a vision. Yeah, no. I always start with core values. And mm. I think this is something over the last, you know, even I think Jim Collins was kind of the first one that pushed this in the early 2000s, late, late 90s of you got to get these core values. And what I, I was, I was turned off by them because every company had quote unquote core values. They were on the wall. But when you started looking and evaluating at those core values through the company's actions, they didn't always align. And I don't think it was intentional as much as it was we went through this process, we put them on the wall, and now let's get back to work because we've got to go back. They didn't take the steps needed to, okay, what does this look like to integrate and really soak them in? And so what I've what I've realized is when someone's ready and 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 can look at and reflect back, what are your core values? And I found it might, if you're not, again, it's a process and a journey, what you initially say your core values are might evolve or or develop over over a shorter period of time early on because you're still evaluating them and reflecting on them. So I like to start with the core values, but then when you're if you're stuck in really visualizing and visioneering, I always I like to go back, okay, let's look back over the last year. What 
where have you been successful? What, what was a success? And literally just kind of bullet pointing those out and, and, and reflecting and reviewing, okay, that, what made that a success? What made that feel good? Why do you, why do you really um, see that as, as a true mark of success? And then how do you, given that knowledge, what does it look like to do that more of that in the year coming? So it's, it's, it's a reflection and a, and a, a planning exercise all in one to say, this is what was successful. This is what made this year look good. Now let's look at the next year. How do we do more of that? Or how do we build upon that? Where, where are the growth opportunities? Where do I have to get better? So being able to kind of use that one-two punch, and then we can start, as we do that year over year, you can start rolling that out further so you can say, okay, this is what success really looks like in my life. So again, the evolution for me was getting into leadership roles, knowing I love helping people discover and unlock their true potential. And you do that through a process of reflection and, 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 and re realizing what, what, what really filled them up and what depleted them. And so doing that year over year, you can start getting more clear as to what five or 10 years looks like. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. I'm glad you framed it that way, pain, because I think one of the criticisms I have of visioneering processes is a lot of them are, uh, I would say, built on external factors. Uh, I want the the, the um, 2.5 story house, the 3.7 children, you know, the type of car, you know, all the visualization goes on a board and it's all external. You spoke of values. Wow, when the going gets tough, what's better to stand on? Something you don't have yet or something that you you are either gifted with or have built within to some level, something you believe in, that, that the internal um, certainty is always better than the external um, dream of certainty, if you will. Is that, is that a fair statement? Totally. I, I think core values are foundational and they, it's what makes each of us tick, right? And hmm. so if we can if we can align our life's work with the core values that we hold to be tried and true and, and fill us up, what better measure or what better platform to build a life's work on than, than something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, legacy is built on on values, right? Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that a visioneering process can't include a values assessment, a, a statement of the values that, you know what, here is what I want to be known for from a value perspective, not a, not a possession. Uh, you can certainly mix them. It's fun to think of the house and the cars and the kids and the, the life that you're going to have. Of course, that can be part of visioneering. But if you don't have values in there, um, you're, you're certain, you're, your foundation of certainty is a little unstable, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you said it best. You're, you're dependent on external results and external things to prove your worth versus knowing that, you know, one of my core values is 
relationships. And so if I'm not building new relationships and I'm not pouring into people and just getting to know people, I'm not moving forward in, in, in succeeding in that area of my life. And so mm-hmm. I know that I can, if, if relationships is important to me, I can look at my calendar and say, yep, th- I'm spending a lot of time with people. Uh, but if I'm not, then I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not moving forward in that area. Is that important? Or is it, I'm just this season of life that I haven't, I haven't prioritized it the way I need to. Ah, uh, there's another one of those magic ACT words, prioritize. We'll get to that one. Uh, it's 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 on the list <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, so so pain ar- around the the vision and setting goals. I think it, it's a common misunderstanding that once they're set, they're set. You mentioned, you know, they are malleable. You you can adjust them over time as experience instructs you, right? Yeah. So um, how would you help uh, someone, again, who is stuck or stagnant, who's gone through the vision process, who is wanting to hang their their um, performance on something a little bit more concrete than a too distant vision? We've talked about that. When would you tell them it's okay for us to, um, let's look at those goals again. Um, is there a time span or a number of experiences or, or there, there just has to be some turmoil they have to go through in order to, to raise their self-awareness of what they are known for right now and let, let that guide them. How does that, how does that sit with you? Yeah, I think it's so important. I think one of the liberating realizations I had probably two years ago, I've got a good friend, also a, a Maxwell leadership guy, Orlando, who super smart. It's funny. I was intimidated to first reach out to him at first because again, PhD from Yale. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to talk over my head the whole time. And I'm going to have to act like I know what he's, what he's talking about. I couldn't have been farther from the truth. But one of the things that he taught me early on, he made the comment, he said, you know, this is my decision as given everything I know right now. And I hold the right to changed my decision based on new or unknown information that I receive in the future. And I'm like, Holy oh, that God. is great. Right. Talk about aha. And I, I never, I'll never forget him saying that. I'm like, that guy's got it because yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best. You know, how do you, how, how do you, in, in leadership, it's like, oh, you don't want to let people down. You don't want to lead them the wrong direction. Leaders make mistakes. It happens, but leaders, boy, you know, you're a leader is, um, and you're leading well. So if you're taking action, you're moving people forward and you're, you're constantly evaluating and getting those bumpers to move further and farther in. So you're not having the volatility of major swings, which I was guilty of early on. So I, that was a good piece of, of information that I, he shared with me that I want to share with your listeners because it was huge. But coming back to your question, how do you know when to pivot? One of the things I do with my coaching clients is on a yearly basis, we do the process that we just talked about. And I, the last question I ask them to define and, and, and answer is in 90 days, 
how will we know if we're moving towards that goal so that we know, hey, here's kind of the bumpers. If, if we're getting down the road and we're not seeing progress, this is what progress would look like. I'll be doing X, Y, and Z, or we'll have this type of result in 90 days so that we know we're moving towards that year goal. And, and so I just hold that that in front of them, not like, not that that's, you know, they're failing if they don't hit that, but that's what we said the metric was. And as we move closer to that 90 days, we can evaluate and adjust that, but it, it, it gives us some context as to what does progress look like? And, and we can measure off of that. So we don't get, you know, nine months towards a, a 12 month goal and be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is brilliant. What does, 90 days from now look like from a progress perspective that's that's uh, again visioneering at work if you will yeah. but but i see the difference um they're having to synthesize that you're not telling them what it looks like they're having to create that and i think that's the difference and i, I think a lot of people who are stuck or stagnant are either unwilling or or ignorant as to how to synthesize they're looking for an answer again they're pointing the finger out go and tell just tell me what to do well at, at some point the finger has to has to come back right yeah there's this period in life and i'd be interested to know your perspective on this like you leave you know you grow up you're raised in, in a household and, and you're looking for mentors and and people to just help you figure life out but there's a process and you know leaving college then going into my career where it stops, you stop looking for answers through other people. Now you need wisdom and insight and you can, you can steal, steal from other people in a, in a figurative sense of their, their perspective and their life experience. You know, there are a lot of people with great experience, but you have to start owning your life. And I don't know if anybody ever tells us, at least I didn't, I didn't listen to, if somebody told me I didn't listen, uh, maybe they weren't, they weren't in that inner circle at that point in time. Like you need to, own this and and you need to create it and there's no one right way or one wrong way and i think that was why my biggest challenge was like i figured there's one secret to success and i remember when i was i was working it was that startup that i went to work for i was um i was running this company and there were two former wall street investment bankers that were seeding the money they were buying up uh, rural newspapers and i remember vividly six months into that gig i was i was just struggling and i finally asking like how do you know the right answer like to all of where we're going directs like you guys always seem to have it figured out and i'm like pain we have no idea what we're doing. We have no experience in the newspaper industry. You know, Phil was one of the co-owners. He said Phil was on his on the um, uh, on the 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 the, the company or the the university newspaper at Brown University. That's the only experience we have. So we're making uh, educated decisions with the experience that we have, and then we're just figuring it out. And 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 that was kind of the aha moment there, where I was like these guys super successful in everything they've done 
don't have the answers. So it's just a matter of finding them, taking, making the best decision on the information you have and then taking action. And so I think that's where it was kind of finally like, oh, okay. And then it just took me a lot longer than most people once they have those light bulb moments to actually apply it and, and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I think the certainty that people are looking for there, they want all the right answers to be presented so that they know every stepping stone from the whole to, you know, success, if you will. And that's just not how it works. I think you, that your story speaks to that. It's just, do you have enough information to make the next right decision, knowing that there are a lot of right answers out there and you're just going to have to, okay. what, what, what does the good book say? Uh, walk by faith, if you will, you, you've mm. got to step forward, not knowing all the rest of the answers, but you have enough information to let's move 1%. Um, let's move the needle today with what we have. And you know what, tomorrow we'll keep doing that. Um, I think I am a recovering need to know all the answers guy. And I, 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 so I feel that, that, that my value and self-worth up to that point in my life was based on whether I got right or wrong answers on standardized tests. How crazy mm -hmm. is that, that, you know, if we're not careful with our children, we can create a vision of value in their minds that is external and not internally derived so that when your knowledge, skills, and attitude run out like mine did in college, to, to circle back to you, you asking what my thoughts were, when my knowledge, skills, and attitude ran out in college, I was lost. Mm -hmm. Everything had been easy and pre-programmed up to that point, and that got me by, if you will. But in college, it was a whole new world, and I had to figure out, I had to fail I had to make some some wrong choices and, and make some um, some bad grades in order for me to then realize I needed to go find the answers. They're they're not going to come to me. Nobody's coming to help me. The synthesis was born, I think, at that point. So I think if yeah. we can help our children understand at an early age that failure is a gift let's let's fail as often as possible while you're still safe and, and I've still got some guardrails around you um, but get comfortable with it because it's going to happen and instead of it being a slap in the face it can be a kick in the butt maybe totally and it's it's a um it's a it's a it's a process I, I love what you just said and I was just just on a conversation earlier today talking about Angela Duckworth she wrote the book grit and one of the questions that her father asked her every night at the dinner table was what did you fail at today and what did you learn from that and she she found she she basically anchors a lot of the work that she's done um, in that space of of grit and passion and perseverance over extended periods of time to the the development of awareness around failure not being the end all be all but it being a necessary part of the evolution process and and doing anything great um, and I think Adam Grant from 
um, uh, I just think about the podcast that, that we just shared with our, with our group. He talked about the exact same thing that you just talked about in the sense of getting to college and, and, and all of his career up into that point was about getting A's and learning the right answers to the test. And then he gets into a master grad school level classes. And now it's all about new and, and unique ideas. And he, how do you he create those? those? Right. It's like all I've been doing is is studying to the standardized, standardized tests. And if we're developing people to figure out there is one right or wrong answer, then we're really setting them up for failure versus learning how to be creative. And, and, and one of the things that I love doing is surrounding myself with people like you who think completely different than me and your ability, you know, you talk about, you know, trying to see all of the steps. Well, one of the, the benefits of you being able to do that and, and having that experience is you can see around corners that I can't. So I will go and, and just say, this is a big idea. Let's go run in that way. And you'll start asking these questions like have you thought about this or you haven't thought about that or have you thought about that and you might come up with 13 reasons why not to do it and six of them i'm gonna say yeah let's let's deal with those because that's gonna save me huge headaches the rest of them we'll get to them when we get to them but that is hugely valuable and and just being able to to be around people like that has helped me say not only do you not have to know all the, the right answers, there are people that have unique abilities and skill sets that can help guide and direct us to, to better and quicker and accelerated results. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of those self-awareness things that is so critical to know that you will not ever have all the answers and you need to be in connection with other people who think differently than you, because together y'all are going to have a better answer together. So yeah, I appreciate that so much. You bring up um, another topic pain that I think causes a great deal of human suffering, uh, particularly in, in your generation and the generation below you. And that is this, this, this fear that of inadequacy, that you're not, you're not good enough. I hear that um, across generations, but it seems to be a plague in your generation and the one below it. I, I'm curious if you think that fo uh, not FOMO, that's the fear of missing out. That's that's the wrong fear that I'm 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 talking about. But the 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 this compulsion that we're not good enough for whatever it is we're stepping forward into. Is that an uncertainty that we haven't addressed? Is it a fear that has been pre-programmed? Is it a belief that is someone else's and not yours? Um, lots of stuff packed into this question, but I'm curious if you've elucidated what the origins are or a pattern of origin of that particular belief that plagues so many people. Um, yeah, the person that figures this out, is going to be super, super successful, but well, I, I don't know I if have, there's so, one. So I'm curious. Okay. Well, let's, my, let's my see. Answer. Um, I don't know if there's one right or wrong answer. I look at my experience and this is something I've been thinking a lot about here recently of like, what is it that, 
has has created this this society that lacks enoughness i guess so to speak and so you have to measure and what does enough mean or what does um importance and value mean and if in my case in my experience i go back to growing up uh the middle child um and everything that a very stereotypical uh middle child uh definition or, or characteristic i probably lived to but i had an older brother who was just an all-american athlete and I saw I from an early age I just had this sense of needed to be accepted and feared rejection and wanted to be liked by everyone and so I saw my brother being so good at sports and getting this popularity so to speak of because of that and so in my mind I created this belief that my enoughness was tied to my ability to beat him in sports never going to happen. Uh, I wish I just wasn't as gifted as him. And completely honest, I think God knew what I'm a believer. Uh, I believe God knew what he was doing. Cause if he had given me the gifts, gifting and skill set that my older brother had, I was, I would not have been as humble or as, as compassionate as, as he was. And so he knew what he was doing, but I had, I created this, 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 value and sense of worth in something that I could never accomplish. And so I went to work and and started creating this self-image around that. And I never felt like I was good enough. And so that was my example from a very early age. If someone would have, um, if I would have, if I would have stopped and said, what is it about um, eating, you know, Blake, my brother in sports, that's important to you? Why is, what will that give you? And if I would have drilled down to it and realized that all I really wanted was to, 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 to be seen and, and, and have an impact. Well, that I didn't understand until you fast forward to probably my mid thirties. And I'm thinking about impact and, and, and a quote that, that rocked my world in late high school, uh, which, you know, you know, the deepest fear quote where it talks about, you know, we need to shine our light. And by shining our light, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And, and by doing that, we are overcome and liberated by our fear. Well, when we start to really unpack, what is it that's most important? So for me, it's that impact, like helping people see their true potential and purpose and really getting in the right seat where they align skills and, and giftings with their occupation, we can, we can do great things. And so to come full circle, that's my experience, but where I think the, the, the real opportunity is in culture and within organizations where I spend a lot of time is, is helping people be, develop the awareness of what are they uniquely gifted to do? What are their strengths and their skill sets? Uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni just came up with this working genius. What is their geniuses? And, and how do we get them in line with that and, and recognize that we don't have to be great at everything. Actually, in fact, as leaders, we shouldn't be. We should really understand where our gifting is and align our occupation, our responsibilities, our tasks as much as possible in, that, in those same directions and build congruence there so that we're spending less time in the things that drain us and, and surround ourselves kind of like what we just 
just talked about with people that have different geniuses, different skill sets and abilities, whether um, we're in, in low level leadership to the executive level, if we can do that, then, then we start to, to realize and, and position people to overcome that feeling of inadequacy, because now we're not focused so much on what we can't do or the weaknesses. We're really focused in on those strengths and those skill sets that make us unique and, and, and thriving. But I'll, I'll share one more point, and then I'll be curious to hear your perspective on this, is what I've realized was when we do align and find that congruence, better congruence between gifting and skill sets that we're naturally given and, and born, born with and developed through the environment that we're in, things start happening more naturally. And what I struggled with was, what am I missing? Because all of my career, any time that I've developed a skill or ability, it's come at excruciating effort and pain and hard work. And only through reflection, I realized because I was in the wrong seat of the bus, I was developing weaknesses in areas where everybody else was developing their natural strengths. And I was never going to be as good in my weakness areas as peoples who have that same as their strength. So when I realized, hey, you're just, you're, it's not you, because I kept thinking, hey, there's something wrong with me. I can't do what they're doing in the effort that they're doing it. And it just seems, it seems natural to them. And it's like pulling teeth for me when I realized it's not me. I'm just in the wrong seat. That's when I started realizing, hey, it's not the enoughness that you're feeling. You're just in the wrong seat and you're playing a different game with different um, with different equipment than they are. And it's like you know, trying to play um, hockey with a baseball bat. Like You can't play hockey with a baseball bat. You just don't have the right tool. And, and so that's what I think the revelation that I've really come to experience now in this, in this coaching space and in the organizational health space and helping people recognize that and then build their team around that is, is what I think is one of the, 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 the ways that we're going to overcome some of that enoughness. What, what about you? What do you think? Yeah. So <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Um, to, to get at my response. So when you decided to step out on your own and, and, and go all in with, with your, your purpose and passion that you've identified, which was helping others through this coaching, um, uh, coaching career, if you will, did you have that feeling come up in your ear and say, uh, uh I don't know if I can do this. Um, I just don't know if I'm good enough. I don't think I'm going to be a good enough coach. Did did that come up? Even Absolutely. though you were aware of your giftedness, you, you you found the people to surround yourself with, you knew what your seat on the bus was, but you still felt that way. My 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 theory is that this not enoughness is not a resistance or a problem for us, it is a barometer. And that unless we're feeling it, we're not living hard enough, right? So when you feel that, this is the way. Um, 
to, to steal from the Mandalorian series. This is the way I'm supposed to feel this way when I am doing the hard stuff that needs to be done. The pivot that comes after that, that, that little awareness is now let me lean into my values. Let me lean into my working genius so that I have the best opportunity for success. Now, it can certainly turn into a resistance real quick. If you fail to pivot, then you wallow in this, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. You know, it can go the other way real quick. So after the awareness, you need to pivot, but it's a barometer, not an anchor, in my opinion. That's why I love talking to you because you you make these connections and you bring these ideas you're absolutely right it is a barometer i think where where I'll, i would add and build to it or build onto it is also recognizing are you stepping outside of a comfort zone right like where is your comfort zone um what have you been doing for me stepping out on my own was completely foreign. I hadn't started a side. I didn't, I it didn't build it as a side hustle as much as I was doing some things on the side that seemed to be building traction. And I was really enjoying those, but it wasn't as a business. It was more of a hobby. And then the, the awareness raising there and then stepping out. And, and then I felt the, the uncomfortableness, the enoughness as more of a, wow, you're really outside your comfort zone. And so what, what can you fall back on? You know, all of the experiences, the core values, as you said, is a huge one. And then some of these assessments that, that give you perspective and help with awareness of these are the skills and things that you're really natural at, how do I leverage and, and, and build momentum in those areas and, and keep building instead of on, on the foundation you've already created instead of, oh, I've got to go create this whole new foundation. And, and so I think the combination of, of that barometer and then awareness of the environment and are you doing something completely foreign? You're going to probably feel that barometer a little bit more. And it's not that you're not enough. It's it's louder now because you just stepped out of a comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I like the metaphor of a barometer. You know, it measures mm -hmm. pressure. A and I think the closer you come to your terror barrier, which is that, that outer outer circle of, of, of your comfort zone and you step forward into growth beyond that, that's a high pressure situation for you. So yeah, you're supposed to feel an even greater pressure of this uh, not enoughness. Uh, I think when you mm -hmm. feel it to the point that it impacts your ability to sleep, that you're distracted by it during the day, that you're constantly thinking about it. Yeah, this is the way. Um, yeah. pivot, pivot now. So can I ask this quick, real quick question? Cause you sure. got me fascinated. How do you help your clients navigate that barometer so that it doesn't get into, when I think of it, like kind of a, a, a gas pressure gauge, it doesn't get into the red, the red but it zone, stays yeah. like, 
right right below it so you're really yeah. pushing um but not going crazy with it so how do you what do you how do you advise your clients there yeah i i think what's uncomfortable is the feeling pain that that you have to sit with it right what what's going to keep it out of the red zone is to sit with it and breathe into it and go all right so this is what it feels like to have direction. So it, it is attaching the emotion to a different belief. It's a reprogramming to go, you know what? This is good. What do you mean it's good? It doesn't feel good because it, it's tied to this past experience. Tell me about the past experience. Yeah. Is that how you want the attachment to work moving forward? Yes or no? Well, well, no. Okay, great. Well, let's attach this emotion then, this feeling to a new experience. And guess what? You get to go create it. So you feel inadequate in your role. What's a small win that we can do right now? So you, you start re creating new attachments, if you will. But I think you have to sit with it first and go, what is it that I've attached this to? Because it's really strong. It's it's in my past. I know the experience. It's very gritty and granular. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can see it. I can touch it. Okay, great. Now what? <laughs> yeah. You, we now and know the origin find, story. I love that. Do you find... So I'm just wondering, the clients that I'm thinking through this is like that story, when you start exploring it and unpacking it with clients, how much of it do you find is based in reality? When you really get to that red zone and that you're feeling that feeling, is the feeling based in reality to the sense of, man, I've been through this and fear is causing me to push back. But what is it that I'm really fearful of? Is it failure or is it is there congruence there? It's kind of what I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to understand. I guess it, it, no, it is not real. Feelings are not real. They are experienced, you know, within. You don't you don't share my feelings unless I tell you um, at a at a very detailed level that you can make a connection to. That's really the only way you can experience what I'm doing, and it's still superficial. So I think yeah. it is all unreal, if if you will. And I think several reflected experiences like that to understand the attachment can then help people help people create the next emotion rather than fall prey to it. Um, because feelings are cr created from our beliefs and attachments. Um, so so that understanding, in my opinion, has to come first, and it's really uncomfortable. Um, and, and a little disorienting. It's going to stop a visioneering process because you've got to pause and look backwards to the experience. But you know what? Those experiences are their perceptions of a past reality that aren't aren't necessarily relevant today. So so helping translate the past um, attachment into what you have an opportunity to reattach today, I think is where the magic is at and helping people flip that switch, um, into the realm of possibility, which, is, which is all we're essentially doing in coaching, right? We're, we're helping people synthesize a new reality, uh, 
but they're anchored to all that they know and that's programmed that, that I'm sure there is neuroscience to show that there's hardwiring. So it's very real to them, but it is not useful for them tomorrow or, or, or today. So how do we, how do we unwire? I think that's the challenge, but that comes through synthesis that you've got to synthesize a new reality um, in order to get the connection to stick. Man, we went way deep there, but Ah, man, that's why I love listening to you and and talking with you because you just, you you have the ability to make the complex or what's seemingly complex and what we, in what we do in our our culture, make everything harder than needs to be simple in a way that people can understand it and then do something about it. You've got a gift, my friend. Oh, well, we, we certainly share those, my brother. Look, I, I have been really stingy with your time. I could keep going, but um, I, I definitely need to have you back, Payne, because we didn't get to priorities. We didn't get to outcomes. We didn't get to performance. We, there, you're going to have to come back. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll have these conversations with you any day because I just I learn every I learn so much from um, every time we get to sit down and, and I'm not surprised we always we go deep and 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 forget all of the things that we want to talk about. So yeah, the, the, this time. It all starts with a, a simple question. Um, but but pain, I know a lot of my audience may not know who you are, and I want them to be able to find you after this episode. If anything that that we talked about resonated with them um, and and they're curious how you can help them shape their tomorrow um, and find their working genius, how how can they find you, pain? Yeah, I think the easiest way is through my website. You can you can you can find me there at Payne Shown Consulting.com. Uh, I'm assuming you can throw it in the show notes. Uh, I am on social. It's something you and I have talked about not nearly as much as I need or should be. And it's a goal in 2023 to be more strategic in that space of just being able to uh, encourage and 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 lift up as many people as possible. I think they're, the, the social media platforms are great in that. I think they don't always serve that. You know, we didn't go into it, but I think one of the reasons we've got this uh, fear of, of, of being inadequate is because we're comparing ourselves, looking, we're, we're, we're consumed by social media and we're comparing our every day to somebody else's highlight reel. So I, I, I think there's, there can be a negative perspective of it. So all that to be said, you can find me on the socials, but um, not as active and, and would love if, if anybody would like to think through what, what is it that, um, where am I going and what is it that I'm uniquely gifted to, to do? How do I better align my profession and my life's work to, to in that area? I think those are, those are the conversations I really love to, to have with people and help to explore and always learn a lot from. And you do that one-on-one, you do it with small business, large business, you're a global influencer now. So there, there is, there is no connection too small or too large that pain um, is not capable of handling. Is that fair? 
Oh, well, it's kind of you to say, yeah, I love, I've had some awesome opportunities to, to go overseas and work, do some work with some European sales teams that are just killing it uh, to, yeah, the local business here that, you know, the solo entrepreneur building a real estate portfolio and, and just how do they do that? And it's just fun to, to help people use their giftedness and, and discover sometimes what that is and, and the potential that lie, lies on the other side of real congruence and alignment of, of those gifts, the intentional work and, and, and task and activity.